Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. I'm here with Gentry Jones. I'm so excited and thank you for accepting this invitation to come on the podcast to educate men and women about sobriety, about clothing lines. I mean, you you got it all. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Number one, I do want to so, say, give you a little, little background. You are a sober mom of four boys, and that in itself is like you should receive a medal for that. Twin toddlers, how old are they? They are three and a half. They'll be four in April, so a little oh. over three and a half. You're a full-time accountant. Mm-hmm. You are a sober life coach, which is kind of new, which you're getting into, and, and definitely want you to promote that. I want you to talk to that. Is that men and women or predominantly just women? Um, The one-on-one coaching so far has just been women. I'd be open to coaching to men. I think that my target market would be women, though, just because we relate. I think that men maybe could relate with men better. Absolutely. And on this sober apparel line that you sell, $2 goes to profit, alcohol awareness, and rehab that's in there. You can be found on Instagram. You can be found on Facebook. So it's not very hard. Life with Gentry, correct? Right. You're a motivational speaker. You're a writer. You're a coach. What don't you do? I can't juggle. (laughs) Can't juggle. All right. Well, we found it. So number one, tell me just an easy question to get us kind of off the bat. What was the biggest takeaway from 2020 from your recovery standpoint? I think that, well, there's two. Okay. So from my recovery standpoint is that you have to stay diligent with your recovery, because I did actually have a lapse in 2020 where I felt like those old pressures, uh, not necessarily pressures, everything at the time that I relapsed or lapsed, it was only a couple hour little, um, but it was, I was fine. I wasn't like, didn't lose my job. I didn't lose, I didn't lose anything, but the stress around me, everybody else was freaking out. The world was, there was unknowns. And I think the unknowns of everything and just the the stress of the world got to me. And so it was, I think for that part of 2020, it was like, okay, you have to constantly be on your game. You can get taken out of sobriety at any time and you cannot let outside influences change how you feel. And so that was a huge part for sobriety, but just overall in 2020, what I took away is that it was a huge opportunity to take obstacles and turn them into opportunities. And I think that so many people saw it as like, we can't do this and we can't do that. And it's like, in 20 years from now, what do you want to tell your kids you did during 2020? What do you want to tell your grandkids you were doing during 2020? Do you want to tell them like, I got really depressed and I sat on my ass and I whined and bitched and complained that it was really hard or it was an opportunity for me to like teach my kids to overcome this. It was an opportunity for me to, to get into more social media stuff because that's how you can connect to people. And I think that 2020 was an obstacle, but it was an opportunity for people to find the good. Okay. So people here who are here and this are like, okay, we need a little more, we need some more details. So how long had you been sober before? Before the lapse? Yeah. Uh, almost two years. So, so two I, years sober. How did you get sober? What was your like mode? Um, so I was a binge drinker and I was a closet drinker. A lot of people didn't know that I was struggling as bad as I was. And there was a lot of struggles for the 10 years leading up to this. I originally put myself in rehab at 21 and I didn't get sober till 20 or till 30. Sorry. So in that nine year span, I was 
starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And the year before I got sober was my probably my worst year. I had one of my worst moments, but the day I got sober wasn't my worst moment. It was just my final straw. And mm. it also was a incident at work. And so I had this circle of people that kind of knew what was going on, but didn't want to talk to me about it. And then, and I knew that. So I just, I mean, I played off of that. I manipulated that. I knew that they weren't going to address it. And then when work saw me get out of control, it was kind of like, oh, like these people aren't going to protect me the way the people that are enabling me are. So once work saw that I might have an issue, I was afraid I was going to lose my job and lose my house and lose my, lose a lot more. And so it was, it wasn't so much like sooner or later I need to quit. It was like sooner or later, something bad is going to happen. So the alcohol rolled into work. Yes. We were on a work lunch and we were allowed to have some drinks, but I took it too far, got really bad anxiety and just left. I just got up and left when we got back and didn't tell anyone where I was going, was drunk, drove home and scared a lot of coworkers. Was that uh if you could look back at that and talk to those coworkers now, what would you tell them? Like, did you feel like it was okay for them not to say anything or do you wish because they knew that they had they would have like got involved in your life? So those coworkers that was the first time they had kind of seen that. So one of them did actually follow me home or they didn't follow me home. They had come to check that I was home. So they went to my house to double check my cars in the, the driveway. And then I had a big sit down with my boss when I came back the next day. Because I think that's kind of, that's a problem that people don't want to address. Like they have colleagues or they have family members and they're like, man, I know my sibling or my friend has a problem but I can't address this issue with them. Like, how do I talk to them? Right. right. So, so how would you have appreciated more of a sit down with even the people that were codependent of you or to you? Do you wish they would have talked to you? Absolutely. I do wish that, that some people, I, I mean, it, people were literally just kind of watching me die because they didn't want to offend me or they didn't want to hurt my feelings. And I would have been pissed off and I would have shut them out and I would have blocked like their energy and I would have fought them. I know I would have, but if they would have stepped in and been like, you, this is not safe for your kids. If they would have some, and there was a point that people should have stepped in and probably taken my kids away. And they didn't because I was crying and I was upset and I felt bad. And that feeling bad, it's real, it's true, but it's a huge manipulation to people that, that aren't in, that aren't addicts because they don't understand. Like how, if you feel so bad, why would you keep doing it? And I, I mean, you have to come to your own. You have to make the decision on your own. You can't, it's, nobody else can force you to do it. But I do think there was a lot of opportunities that people could have called me out or intervened a little bit more with my kids or my driving or just really dangerous situations. Okay. So, so work finds out, you said it wasn't your rock bottom. You had had another incident that kind of was a bigger deal than this. But so, so how did you take control of your drinking? Did you just cold turkey it or did you, what was your process? I had already been going to AA since the beginning of the year. So I got sober May 1st. Um, I had been going AA off and on since the beginning of the year. So I just started committing to go to AA every single day and I would go on my lunch break and just, and even on the weekends, I would drive up and make sure I went to a meeting, but I did that for about two months and then got into back into like my health and fitness and trying to really live a healthier life. But I think that, that when it really took a switch for me to like, okay, this is sticking this time, because I had done a couple months here or there at a time 
right. for those nine years. But I think what really st- started to stick was when at 90 days, I made a post that I was 90 days sober. And it was kind of like, I am outing myself about this because I don't want to go back to it. And I was always like afraid to out myself because then when I, when they saw me at the bar or when they saw me by the alcohol that they would think something, you know, so wait a minute, you had 90 days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That there's so much intelligence in that though. That really is so well done. Did you know what you were doing when you were posting it? Were you doing it kind of selfishly like, okay, now I'm being held accountable by all these people. Yes. Yes. And no, I think, I think there was, some intention behind it. And some of it just was like, Oh wow. Now these people are going to keep me in account. And it wasn't, I mean, like I share a lot more detailed gory moments of my alcoholism now that I've like been comfortable with it, but it was just like, I've decided to quit drinking. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. I'm not good at it. It was very like big, but it was, it was definitely outing myself to the world. And it also took kind of some shame away from it in a way. Like I was hiding this secret that was exhausting. And it was like this big, scary thing in the closet. And then once I shine light on it, it was just like, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like it doesn't have to be such a big deal. So the people around you didn't react the way you thought they were going to react. Yeah. Well, I think my family was still apprehensive that I was going to stick to it this time. But I think just the outside accountability of people I didn't know helped keep me sober more than the people I did know, which is which is weird. But they've done studies that it actually is. It, it's huge. Right. People are in Walmart. They say, hey, Gentry, nice job on 90 days. And you're like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, you said there was some ooey stuff about your addiction that you went through. What were some of those moments? Like what, what other than, I mean, putting the kids in danger, driving, I'm sure you, you mentioned de- uh, driving while intoxicated where people should have taken that away. But, but what else? I mean, like what, how far did your addiction take you? I was, I had, wow, I don't know. <laughs> like which angle do you want to go with? I had vodka and water bottles. Um, I would have to drink in the morning, not necessarily that I had the shakes, but just to calm my like anxiety and just to feel better. So there was mornings I would wake up and take a shot before I went to work just to kind of get through the morning. I would have platinum bottles in my leggings where I would just stuff them in back behind my, in my leggings and people didn't see them or know and bottles hidden in the garage and my shoes. And it was so much worse than people realized. And my dad had apologized about that. I was like, it's not your fault. I was hiding it from you, but that he didn't know more, but it was a constant, constant thought process of like, am I going to drink? When am I going to drink? Can I drink? Should I drink? I'm not going to drink. Can I? And like, okay, I have, um, and then hiding it just in case I wanted to drink. And that's a lot of work. Oh, right. (laughs) So how much calmer is your life Let's say today, I guess I shouldn't use the word calm in this kind of, mm. right? 2020, <laughs> you know, but, but do you feel like there's some more peace in your life now that you're not drinking, now that you have it under control? Absolutely. I think that I have so much more time to think about things that actually matter. Because you, when you think about how much you were trying to manipulate and hide and sneak and, and just the constant, like not even the drinking time, the time battling if you should drink or if you have a problem or if you could, you could manage it. Um, so just so much more time. And I think that that's why that four kids is gotten is like, it's just like, I like to be busy. So, so now it's my busy mind can be busy doing things that are productive. So like the clothing line or the coaching or working or working out or doing things with my kids that I still have a busy mind. It's just a lot more productive. 
Yeah. All right. So we're going to attack the elephant in the room, if you don't mind, Gentry. You talked about a little blip, a little a little relapse. I don't know what, what you called it. What'd you call it? A, a lapse. A lapse. A lapse. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like whatever we identify it as. <laughs> So you had a little elapse in 2020, right? Right. So talk to us, like, what was, we understand that it happens and you went back and you used, but what led up to, did you see red flags coming up? What happened? There was a lot of things that people complain about being issues to be stressed about. And not necessarily that I was stressed about them, but they were excuses for me to pretend that I was stressed about them, if that makes sense. Okay. And so uh, I had to sign divorce papers and they were final on March 18th. I relapsed on um, April 4th. So, but the, that had been already in the works for two years. So the actual signing of the papers, it was an excuse. Was it actually at play? I don't think so. The breakup. So I had been dating somebody new. Um, there was a breakup during that time. So I think that that definitely affected it. I divorce was and a breakup. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I, so I, I decided to date someone before I was officially divorced. And then we had both of them ending at the same time. Disaster. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know that that was hard because it was going, I was kind of feeling the divorce. I was, I was feeling the emotions of both relationships because I kind of avoided the emotions of the divorce by getting into relationship. I also lost my second job. So I had some income go down with the COVID. Um, I worked at a restaurant, so I wasn't able to to be a waitress from every other weekend. And it wasn't a huge financial um, burden. I was still able to make ends meet, but it was, it was an excuse. It was just another excuse. And I had, I just felt the anxiety building up and I was hanging out with some friends that were all drinking and we were playing Monopoly. And I just started taking sips off of one of their drinks. I'm like, oh, I can have a sip. Oh, I can have a sip. It's not a big deal. I can have a sip. And then at some point it was like, oh, now you've basically relapsed. And I was like, fine, I might as well take some shots now too. Like it was like, once I had it in my system, it was like, fine, then I relapsed. Let's just go for it. And which that night did not end well. It was a lot of turned into a big fight and like screaming and crying. And, but the next morning I obviously felt awful because I hadn't been poisoning my body for about two years and then just take shots. But I woke up and had gone to go home because I stayed the night at this house. And I had gone to go home and went to a gas station and bought Mike's Hard Lemonade and wine and just whatever they had there. Because I was like, I've done it. I mean, I've I've ruined my two-year streak. It's over. And I went home and sat there for feeling awful and then thought, like, why does it have to be ruined? Like, the last two years, I have been building the habits and the all of this work to be live a sober life. So just because I had a couple hours of of going back doesn't mean that it's over. And I think and then I and I shared that I the next day after I was done crying and all that stuff. Um I shared on social media like yeah, I lapsed, but it doesn't have to be like game over. And I think that a lot of times when people once they drink, they think that that it has to be like that. Well, I better get my bender in now. And it's like, no, you habits have changed. Your mindset has changed. So just because you took a step back, like I had a lot of moments in my nine years where I was sober, but I was still drunk for those nine years. Yeah. So just because I had a moment of going backwards doesn't mean that that sobriety is done for. Okay. So what did you, what did you do with the alcohol then? My friend had come over and I gave it to them. So I didn't drink again. I only drank for those few hours. Okay. So now how, I mean, how many days removed is that now? So that was on 4-4 of 2020. Okay. So, so, so question this, just because I want to, there's people out there listening to this, right? Do you feel like 
there's always this stigma with time, like how much time mm-hmm. do you have sober? And I'm going to say it to you just like how I feel it. Time does not matter at all. Right. Does right. that make sense? Like in my opinion, it does not matter. 10 years, 50 years, because you can still be a dry drunk and be a complete asshole. Right. And, mm-hmm. Or you can be someone that just figured it out and they're not using it again. So time isn't a big factor. How are you doing like mentally and reutilizing those tools? With wait, sorry, can you Yeah, with your tools. So so you you said you had already established good routines in those two years. Right. So you feel like you were able to go right back at it and just start kicking it again? Yes. I feel like I had already created habits of like I don't need alcohol to go to sleep. I don't need alcohol to get through events. I don't need alcohol to, I handled this stressful situation. I handled this stressful situation and fitness is huge for me. So fitness, like, and so like Monday morning, I got up and made sure I worked out. It was like, okay, we're getting back to our normal routines. You can cry. You can be upset. You can feel all the emotions, but we've been creating these healthier habits. You've been able to go to bed on your own. You've been able to handle stressful situations on your own. You don't have to all of a sudden go back to, to the old habits. Good. I love it. So on social media, you made a comment. Okay. It said, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing it, but it pretty much you pretended that sobriety was fun and it was uncomfortable, stressful, and sad. And it took time for drinking, right? To go from fun to no fun, right? So it will take time for not drinking to be go from not fun to fun. I love that because you you know you think about it, and that's that's a mindset. That's like a mind. Uh, uh, sh- you have to shift your mindset, right? And so in your coaching, are you are you teaching these women how to handle these crisis situations? Like, I mean, hopefully, God forbid, we face another twenty twenty. And people that 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 stayed sober in 2020, I'm giving them like a, a shout out for sure. That's like 10 years. We're just going to add on. <laughs> Dang it. I don't get the 10 year bonus. Right. You're good. You're good. Like, and I don't feel like you have to go back and start your counting days from zero. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not that guy. Like, you know how you handled it. And I think you mm-hmm. handled it very, uh, very classy and with some tools that you use, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, life's hard. And what's crazy about alcohol. See, I'm, I'm an opiate addict. Right. So if I'm going to get opiates, I either got to go to the street or I got to go back to the doctor and I got to start doctor shopping. But for Mm -hmm. you and for alcoholics, man, I'm telling you, I'm so blessed. I I like, thank God, often say, thank you for not letting me be an alcoholic because it would be hard. Right. I mean, every party you go to a buddy's house, you go Mm -hmm. to you pass Circle K and it's just Mm -hmm. it's chaos. So for you to be able to. So how are you teaching these women? Right. To handle these stressful situations and not go to the relapse. Because I think that experience for you is going to be uh, immense in your coaching career. Right. And well, and I think that that relapse or that lapse was a pivotal part of realizing that like alcohol isn't fun anymore. Like it won't be fun again. It's never going to be fun again. So it's not even worth trying to, to attempt. But I think that for the coaching side, it's you it takes time. And I think that you have to be patient with yourself. You have to be patient with the fact that you've been brainwashed for a very long time. That mm. alcohol is horribly like it's, it's not, it's not like a, a right of adulthood. It's like a requirement of adulthood. And so you've been brainwashed, like mommy needs wine. Uh, the big, big 21 runs. It's just, 
it's constantly in your feed that alcohol is what makes it fun. And so for me, and kind of what I, I want my, my people in my coaching to understand is like, you have to take it back to when alcohol wasn't involved. And like coloring, I've joked that like coloring is a way to go back to like a childlike feeling of like, when you were coloring, you weren't drunk. Um, when you were laughing with your friends, you're not drunk. And so you were a kid experiencing life and enjoying it mm. without alcohol. So I try, I something that has helped me is going back to, okay, when I was a kid, I did this and I had fun doing it. So I don't need alcohol to do these same things. And so like triggering things that you did that were fun when alcohol wasn't involved helps start switching your brain to having fun when alcohol is not involved. And then you can start working in where you might be in situations where it is there, but it's like, I already know I can have fun without it. Yeah. Cause the one night that you lapsed, you had a miserable experience. Like you were getting in fights and like, what the heck? Like, how do I go back? Cause, cause we've talked that, that alcohol is a progressive disease. Does that make sense? You're not going to go back to day one of your alcohol addiction. You're not going to go back to where you had that one beer. You went back to started hitting shots. you right. Yeah. And so that's why it's progressive is because we don't go back to day one. We're right back into our fuel. And what was crazy was you said it perfectly. Like on the way home, you stopped at the store. You were ready to die on that hill, right? Yeah. Does that concern you a little? Like, holy cow. Like, I'm so glad I didn't do it, but I could still be on a bender. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, it went back to like, okay, what would I usually do when I was hungover? I'd get more alcohol. And so I feel awful. I feel like I've screwed everything up. So let's go back to that old pattern. And, and it's, it's scary, but I also think that it was a huge opportunity, like 2020 opportunity to learn. It was right. an obstacle, but it was opportunity to learn. Good. And you said something that was, that was, that was epic that I really appreciate you saying is your friends showed up right that next morning. They were there. They, they took the alcohol from you. And like, how important is your support team now in your recovery? My support team is, my support team is like a hundred percent like imperative. Like you have to have, and it, you have to have people that understand what you're going through because there's so many people that aren't going to understand. Like I had a conversation with a coworker who's not an alcoholic and she was like, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And, right. and that self-awareness of you needing to get it is so much more important than you trying to get them to get it. Because if you don't have confidence in why you can't drink, then that little like, I don't get it. I don't get why you can't is going to give you that doubt of like, well, maybe I can't, maybe I can figure this out. And so I really have to surround myself with people in sobriety that get it. And social media has been like my go-to with, with connecting with people in sobriety. And so my at home relationships, like I got in a relationship and it was like, I will not date anyone that drinks. I like, I tried to do it. That the ex-boyfriend was that he drank and stuff. It's like, I will not date anyone who drinks. So like, I will not have it in my house. I will not, I'm not going to try and be the cool girl that can take you, pick you guys up from the bar and be the DD all night. No, I don't want to like, that's not, not, (laughs) I don't don't want to be the, yeah, I don't want to be the cool friend. So I don't have maybe as big of a circle of friends, but I don't really know if they were the closest friends Mm. now that I'm, now that I'm in sobriety. So my, my support group is mostly online. It's through, it's through the Instagram sober community. Okay. Here you go. I got, I got, I got a hard question for you. Ready for this? And Mm -hmm. put on there that there came a point where you had to stop believing in your own BS. Mm -hmm. And I know in addiction, man, we 
are the best manipulators, the best liars we can. Man, we're good. You, I mean, I, I don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but you understand that we are, right? At what point did you realize like, hey, man, I am really, I got to get out of this BS line and start like owning my crap, you know? So was there a moment that happened or what, where was that? I don't think that there's a moment that that happened. I think there was moments throughout the nine years where I would kind of like stop believing my BS and then I would fall back and kind of, and I think that it's something I still struggle with in sobriety. I think that I, I can convince myself that things are a certain way or that, everybody hates me or whatever. I mean, like I can, I can convince myself of all these BS fantasy type, um, and things are the right word, but I still struggle with probably believing my own BS. Um, but there wasn't like this like moment in my dr- drinking that it was like, okay, but it definitely was I'm trying to think, sorry. My BS was a huge leading factor because if I could convince other people of things, then I was like, I could convince myself that I was okay too. So like hiding it, as long as I could convince everybody else that it wasn't a big deal, then it wasn't a big deal. So it's like, and that's that, that self-awareness and that self like trust in what you believe is real and what, and what, sorry, I'm kind of rambling now, but I like it. I like, I, mm-hmm. I, I hate what you're saying. So here's what I'm going to do. You're, you're talking to, you have ladies in front of you right now and they're asking you and you have an idea of four ways to stay sober. Okay. You, you've talked about us. So give me some ideas of uh, what they would use, because I think we could also use this as men. What do you coach on some some just regular tools to stay sober on a daily basis? So something, so a couple of things are to tell people. You have to get people in your stands. And I've related it to um, basketball. So I was a basketball player growing up and, or volleyball too. I mean, but I played sports growing up. So whether, whatever it was football, but when if you've gone into a game and there was three people in the crowd, or you've gone into a game and the stadium was packed, it's a completely different vibe. It's a completely different, like your adrenaline, your, you want to win when you got a packed crowd. You want to win when you don't, yeah, but it's yeah, just I hear different. You. And so I think that it's really important for you to get people on your side that are going to cheer you on. And if that's through social media, if it's through AA, if it's through um, different programs that are out there, connect with people that get it and they're going to be in the stands cheering you on. And another thing I think that people need to realize is it does take time. You have mm. created a canal in your brain that's like, that's carved out. You want to keep going that way. You want to keep going that way. And you're going to have to now go backwards. And it's just, it's a lot of work. And even if you're sober, you're still going against the current. You're going against the grain for a long time before you're back on track. And so you have to be patient with yourself and let your, I kind of envision as like blinders, like just keep those blinders on and keep going to just get the alcohol out of your system. And as long as it takes just to get the alcohol out of your system, and then you can start working on why you drink and what's going on and all these things. But until it's out, Thank until you. you get back, you can't. And so I think a lot of people want to be like, well, I want to sit down and talk about my trauma. It's like, okay, that's great. But you're, you got to get the alcohol Dude, out of your you're system. You're still drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're still high. We can't talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So you bring up a valid point right there. I'm going to add on to your stadium analogy, if you don't mind. Okay. As many people as you have rooting you on, you also have people on the other side saying, Gentry can't do it. She's going to fail again. I don't like what she's wearing. She's a drunk, right? Have you noticed like 
as soon as you out yourself as an alcoholic or addict, whatever, you find haters. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that? Did you have any? I've had some, but I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, I guess not on, not, not necessarily people I don't know. I haven't had a ton of people on social media just like go at me because I say I'm sober. It's like, okay, I don't care. I don't know you. But people that I know that have had opinions about it, that's a lot harder. It's it hits a little bit deeper and and a lot of them have it's not just that I'm sober it's that I'm so out there about it or that I'm so like in your face or I'm just you just want attention and it's like yeah I want attention I want to shout it from the rooftop I want to help other people in the same situation so it's a hard but the more you're in sobriety the more they realize that like those people are like don't matter kind of like okay thanks but like you said you had family members saying well how long is this one gonna last right and that's where it's i mean i'm not even talking about people on social media i'm talking about people in your own corner that are like waiting for that ball to drop waiting for you to relapse waiting for you to say the wrong thing you know and so i i'm proud of you on that that's that's good that you I've noticed that you got to talk about it. So we're going to end with this. Talk to me about your social media approach because I really like it. That's where I kind of found you. And I love your vibe on there. And I love your push for sobriety. So why be so so out there about it? This is an interesting question because I think that I would be out there about anything I was passionate about. I think that's just my personality. And I think for a long time, I felt guilty that I was so out there and so comfortable. And so was like, I don't mind attention. And it's like, oh, she's attention seeking. She's insecure, whatever. And that's not the case. It's just like, you, God gives you certain strengths and abilities. And for me, I feel like he gave me the ability to talk and to be able to communicate and to be comfortable sharing. So whether I was struggling with sobriety or whether I was struggling with bunions, I would be super passionate about helping people that were struggling the same way. So for me, it's about truly like helping people. And I want to entertain too. I don't want it to just be like sobriety is the best thing. And like, alcohol industries are brainwashing you. It's like, we are alcoholics. Yes. Or we're struggling with, we struggle with alcoholic or alcohol, but we're still like human beings that like to laugh and like to have fun. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm passionate about sobriety, but it's not my entire life. It doesn't, it, I'm only vocal about it so much because that's just my personality. Right. And so I think I want to show that you can have fun. I have fun with my boys. I like to make reels about stuff that isn't even related to sobriety at all, just to try and entertain and help people laugh and try to do something to brighten their day. So so since you're fun with bunions and you brought that up, will you do the <laughs> bunion dance next time? Will you post something? I want to see if you can pull that one off. I don't know how you're going to do it, but throw it out there. I don't struggle with bunions, so I don't know how to... What, what's the bunion dance? Is that a, like a real thing? Uh, well, you said bunions, so I'm, I'm born with them. I'm like, yes. <laughs> okay. He's adamant about bunions. I want to see the bunion yeah, dance. But funny. you know what's, what's interesting is, uh, and I'm hearing what you're saying is, is you're passionate about it is because it almost talk, took our lives. Like the mm-hmm. cost of admission to be in the sober club was almost death, right? Three things, mm-hmm. death, getting locked up or sober up. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, how many old drug dealers do you see? Not many. (laughs) You know, there's not many of them out there, right? Because they're dead or in prison. And it's Mm -hmm. the same thing with alcohol, man. I mean, it's a serious disease. I want to say thank you. First of all, Happy New Year. Thank you so much for coming on the Chase the Vase podcast. And I'm here again with Gentry Jones. Gentry, would you please kick out how we're going to talk to you, how we're going to find out. I know there's women out there that are like, I really like this girl. 
They're going to go on your social media at, and it's Life with Gentry, right? They can go right. on Instagram. They're going to go on there. They're going to see the way you promote sobriety, the way you're having fun, you're dancing. They're going to be like, I want to connect with her. What's the best way to connect? The best way to connect with me is through my Instagram. So if you go to Life of Gentry, there is just DM me on Life of Gentry and I, I check those regularly. And then I also have um, Life with Gentry at gmail.com, which is on the Instagram too. So if you just head to Instagram, it's the best way to find me. And you do more than just, just sobriety. You do fitness. You do, I'm sure you do some anxiety work because I've seen some of that. Right. Well, and that's why it's life with Gentry. It's not sober with Gentry. It's life with Gentry. There's, there's so much more to life than just not drinking and so much more to sobriety than just not drinking. So love it. And if we want to buy a t-shirt, how do we get them? You could go to the uh, life with Gentry. Also, there's a link tree um, with the website or it's afsquared.com. Okay. And is there any men's shirts? Yes. Is there? I so, only saw the women's because I want one. Yeah. I think they're pretty neat. They they actually are really cool. And the AF stands for alcohol free. But it's or for my kids, I say alcohol free and fun. That's so fun. That there is, you go. Squared. That's AS AF squared. Yeah. Okay. Good. But yeah, there's um there's the women's like fit tanks, but there's also just crew neck shirts. Um, and then there's some sweatshirts and some other stuff. Love it. Amazing. So thank you. Just really, honestly, thank you for your your voice. Thank you for sharing your relapse with us. Well, we we're throwing out your our, your your strength to all the those out there that are struggling, have a loved one struggling. And thank you for being on the Chase the Vase podcast. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.